Welcome to West Church. We're so thankful you've joined us today. Whether you're joining us in person or virtually, we're excited to come together to praise, worship, and receive God's glory. If this is your first time with us, we'd like to give you a very special welcome. If you're returning, thanks for joining us again. We appreciate it, and we appreciate you. Now, let's prepare to be inspired and encouraged as we enter into worship. When you hear the word stubborn, who do you think of? I remember the treasurer of my very first church. He had held the position for 35 years. He was in his 80s. And one of my very first trustee board meetings, I came, I had a proposal to purchase a black minister's robe that I could wear when I was doing baptisms. It was less than $100 because we were having some baptisms and so I wanted to get ready. And after asking for it, the board had to vote and he started by saying, I'm against it. I'm against it. And then the rest of the trustees voted yes, so I bought my robe. Well, as the months unfolded, and I had various things to go to my trustees for and ask them for, he was against it every single time. He didn't want to spend a single dime that I asked for. He was like my two-year-old daughter when she's in a bad mood, except he was 80 years older. He always said no to everything all the time. And I could never persuade him to say yes to anything. I just had to put up with it until he stepped down in order to get us to spend some money as a church. He was stubborn. The funny thing I've noticed about stubborn people is that they tend to view their stubbornness as a virtue. I'm just controlling spending. I'm just holding to the faith. I'm just protecting the church. I'm a true conservative. I'm being faithful. But really, they're just being stubborn. And the, the thing that hurts about a relationship with a stubborn person is that it's always a one-way relationship. It's their way or the highway. It's never two ways. It's never give and take. It's never a dialogue. It's never a conversation. It's just, this is the way I'm going to do it, and if you want to be with me, you can come along with me or not. Highway or the byway. And the funny thing I've noticed about... Uh, the Sometimes I realize that I've got some stubborn in me as well. Just ask my wife, Donna. I like to win arguments. I like to stick to the plan even when it hurts. I like to get my way by asserting myself sometimes. But what I recognize stubbornness in myself, it gives me pause. Because it's not a becoming character trait. 
it often real, it leads me to realize that I really don't care about people as much as I think I do. Sometimes I'm actually very self-centered. And I need God's help to get over myself and really see who He wants me to be. Stubbornness, stubbornness is not usually a quality when I see it in myself. So we're beginning a new series for the next month or so, looking at the story of Jonah in the Hebrew Bible, which we've just read. And Jonah definitely qualifies for the title of stubborn. He's actually stubborn with God. <laughs> and, and that's a problem because Jonah is a prophet of God in Israel, and it sounds kind of like an oxymoron to say that Jonah was a stubborn prophet of God, but that's the story. And I need to give you some background to help to set the stage a little bit for the story. Other than the book of Jonah, the four chapters of the book of Jonah that we are looking at together over the next few weeks, the only other time Jonah is mentioned in the Hebrew Bible is in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 14, verses 23 through 28. Jonah was a prophet during the time of Israel, which was known as the divided kingdom. See, after King David and after King Solomon, who reigned over all of Israel, the, southern, the, the, the kingdom of Israel split in two. The northern kingdom was called Israel, the southern kingdom was called Judah, and the northern kingdom was more rebellious against God than the southern kingdom, largely because the worship center for the people of Israel was in the southern kingdom in Jerusalem. And so the northern kingdom had to create alternate places of worship for the people of Israel, and they wandered away from God faster. So Jonah was a prophet in the northern kingdom during the reign of a king called Jeroboam II, who reigned from 793 B.C. to 753 B.C. Now I want to give you some more background, okay? Hang with me, and then we'll get to the story. At that time, the northern kingdom of Israel had experienced quite a few setbacks because of their northern neighbor, Syria. Syria kept attacking Israel, and Israel kept lo losing ground. But in 2 Kings, Jonah appears, and he prophesies that Israel would regain some of their territory that they had lost to Syria. Interesting thing about the politics that were going on in the world at that time. Syria, which was north of Israel, was fighting their enemy, Assyria, to the northeast. And Assyria was the strongest nation at the time. They were attacking Syria so hard that Syria abandoned their front with Israel and put all of their military resources into the war against Assyria. And at the urging of Jonah, Israel took advantage of Syria's weakness and retook part of their land. So likely Jonah is a very proud Israelite patriot who enjoyed it when his people overcame their, the enemies of God. In our story, 
Jonah is called to go and preach to a city called Nineveh. Nineveh was one of the leading cities in Assyria. Assyria was the greatest power in the world at that time. Great enough to overcome Israel's northern neighbor, Syria, and great enough to become a threat to the northern kingdom of Israel. They, they were known because of their immense power and their ruthless way of dealing with their captives. So Jonah is stubborn against God. He's not going to do what God tells him to do. So our story shows the stubborn steps that Jonah goes through to resist God and the counter steps that God goes through to help Jonah comply. And I want you to see four steps and four counter steps between God and his stubborn prophet as we look at them in the story. God sends first, Jonah runs. God chases, well, Jonah hides. God humbles, well, Jonah confesses. And God rescues the strangers and disciplines his servant. You're with me? Let's think about it. God sends, but Jonah runs. Verses 1 through 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah is a prophet. This means that he had a particular call from God of Israel on his life to deliver the news of God to whomever God wants to hear, whomever God wants, wherever God wants them to hear it. And Jonah is a prophet in Israel, but he is sent to Nineveh. Nineveh is the leading city of the nation of Assyria, and Assyria was the reigning empire at that time, and they are known because of their warlike and ruthless way of dealing with their enemies. God even recognizes that their evil or their trouble is in his sight and in his view. He sees this and knows this about the people of Nineveh. They were known to treat their enemies with terror and abuse. But God called Jonah to go there some 500 miles to the northeast. And Jonah is to bring the Lord's message to the city. His response? Opposite direction. West. He goes down to a port city called Joppa on the Mediterranean Sea, and he books passage on a ship to Tarshish. We're not sure whether Tarshish is an exact location way at the far end of the Mediterranean Sea, or it could just mean the open sea. He headed for the open sea, the opposite direction of Nineveh. He is not going there. He's not going to give them the word of the Lord. He has no intention of obeying God's voice whatsoever. 
We'll learn even more about why Jonah doesn't want to go there as we get further into the book. But but suffice it to say that Jonah has an extremely negative reaction and feeling about the people of Nineveh. His feelings about them and their country are so strong that he wants absolutely nothing to do with them. He doesn't even think twice about disobeying God. He hates those people enough to defy God right from the very beginning. And it's interesting that Jonah hates these people so much. Whatever is going on in his heart is so adverse that he doesn't even give God's command to him a second thought. He just won't do what God wants him to do. He won't do it. He doesn't care what God says. He's going to run from God. And oh, did I mention Jonah's a prophet of the Lord? He's known as one who speaks for God, but he just defies his calling when it calls him to do something that he doesn't like at all. When Jesus was teaching in Israel some centuries later, Jesus emphasized God's commandment to love your neighbor. And while he was teaching, another Israelite rabbi listening to Jesus came to him and asked him a question. He said, Who is my neighbor? Who is it I'm really supposed to love this way? And in response to that question, Jesus tells a parable or a story with a point to it that most of you know as the parable of the good Samaritan. Now, to the Jewish rabbi who asked Jesus who his neighbor was, Jesus answered, a Samaritan who does good. When that rabbi heard Jesus' story, he would have reacted just as strongly against Jesus suggesting that a Samaritan was good as Jonah reacted in the idea of going to Nineveh and giving him God's word. Jews in Jesus' day hated Samaritans, and Jews in Jonah's day hated Ninevites. God's view of people is really, really different than ours. Sometimes even the people of God can be bigoted, biased, critical, judgmental, cruel, and stubborn. Much of the racial bias that exists in this country was not just accepted, but promoted by church-going people. That's in our history. And God's view of people and his value of people can be so different from ours. 
He doesn't call evil good, and he doesn't call good evil, but God has great compassion for people who are far away from him and need his message. Ultimately, Jesus taught us that we need to view those who are different from us with compassion and to care for them, even those we view as evil. God sent Jonah, but he ran from God because he had a different opinion than God about who was worthy to receive God's message. And that's a stubborn mistake that we can still make today. Next we see God chases while Jonah hides, verses 4 through 6. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep, so that the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out on your God. Perhaps the God will, God will give a thought to us and we will not perish. We're told that God hurled a great wind upon the sea like a soldier would hurl a spear. The boat that Jonah finds himself in is thrown into a turmoil. The source of the storm? From God. Jonah is down in the hull of the boat, asleep. The sailors, who are not Jewish, recognize that there's this strangely powerful, catastrophic storm going on. They start chucking the cargo overboard in order to lighten the ships to help it float better. I think that's what you should do, Tony, right? <laughs> um, and they recognize that this, is, this incredible storm is going on there, and they start praying, God, to each one to his own God. The captain encourages the sailors, no matter what is religion, pray to God for help, because we sure need it, because this storm is so bad that all the men perceive it to be an act of God. And it's the act of God chasing after his stubborn prophet. Sometimes the storms that we face in our lives are because our relationship with God is out of sorts. In James chapter 5, he kind of gives us some insight into this. Chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. It says this, Is there anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him, give, let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the, prayer will, and the prayer will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So here, James has in mind a person who is sick, and they are sick particularly because they're in sin and they're not walking in fellowship with God. And when, when they confess their sin and they turn from it, their illness is healed. Now, we have to be careful with this teaching, okay? 
It's not a rule. There's another scene in which Jesus has a discussion with some of his disciples. There's a man who is blind, and the disciples turn to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, well, who sinned, this guy or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus says, neither, neither. It just happened, and I'm going to heal him now. But the point is this. If we are resisting God, He may be very patient with us and compassionate with us, but things in our life may not go well with us if we are resisting God. Some of the storms that we face in life are self-made because God is trying to get our attention and we are seeking to avoid Him. And sometimes the storms in our life may be completely unrelated to our obedience or disobedience to God. But typically, when you and I stop and ask God about these things, He is able to make clear to us if there is an area in our lives that He would like to work on, if we are not too stubborn with Him when we turn. God's desire is not to cause storms in our lives, but to guide us into a way of life that is less harmful to ourselves and less harmful to others. Another interesting note here, the sailors are more spiritually correct than Jonah. At least they recognize God's hand is at work. And they're seeking help from their God, whoever that might be. They don't know which God it is, but they're seeking to humble themselves before whatever God he may be. And the God of Israel will show himself to them as a result of the storm caused by his stubborn prophet. Next we see that God humbles and Jonah confesses. God humbles and Jonah confesses, verses 7 through 10 of our passage. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots or throw dice, some way of chance, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and what do you do? Where are you from? What is your country and what people are you from? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. The captain finds Jonah asleep in the hold of the ship and he wakes him and he says, why aren't you praying? People don't sleep in a storm, they pray for mercy. And as the storm progresses, the men in the ship decide to try to find out by rolling dice or some kind of game of chance who it is that may have displeased their God that's causing the storm. And the God of Israel causes the dice to turn up Jonah's name and point towards him. And they start pressing him to admit what he had done and and who he is and what he does for a living. And Jonah has to come out with it and say, you know, I'm a Hebrew. I'm a prophet of the Lord God of Israel. I'm a prophet of the God who made the sea, which is raging, and the dry land. 
So he lets the sailors know that he's a prophet and that he's running from God. (laughs) The men in the boat, they're terrified. This man of God is the cause of the storm and they don't know what to do. Jonah's stubbornness against God is not only depriving the people of Nineveh from hearing the message that God wanted to bring to them, but now his stubbornness is endangering the lives of the innocent sailors who are just trying to get to the next location. The sailors were actually more righteous than Jonah was. They knew this trial was an act of God. They are horrified that Jonah would defy his God. Jonah has caused a God storm not only on his life, but also on the lives of everybody around him. He's so stubborn, he doesn't care. He's quite comfortable to sleep through it until they had the audacity to wake him up. And when God's people disobey God in front of other people, we end up harming them as well. We dishonor the name of God among them and we give them the impression that it's okay to disobey and dishonor God. We not only shame ourselves, we shame our God in front of other people. And sometimes people who do not know God can even act more moral than those who do not know Him. It's sad, but it's true. Jonah finally admits that he's running from God. He's wrong with God. The only way to remedy the stubbornness in life is to admit that we are wrong. When we became more stubborn rather than admitting that we're wrong, we just keep the same harm and brokenness going in our relationships with others just like we did before. But when God humbles Jonah and Jonah confesses what he has done, confession and humbling are the only right and fitting response to stubbornness with God. Our relationship with Him will never improve if we refuse to admit that we were wrong and that we're harming other people. Confession and humbling ourselves brings healing It brings hope for change and it places us into a heart condition in which we can now listen to and obey God rather than resisting Him. So God humbles and we confess. What we see next is that God rescues the strangers but disciplines his servants. He rescues the strangers, but disciplines his servant. Verses 11 through 16. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. 
And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea that the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to try to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us this innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done it as you pleased. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So the sailors ask, what shall we do to appease this angry God and stop the storm? And Jonah says, throw me in. So he doesn't have to go to Nineveh. (laughs) They don't want to harm him. They try to make it to shore, but God prevents the storm from allowing them to direct the boat to shore. Again, the sailors want to protect life, and finally they agree to do what Jonah said and throw him over, and then they pray that God wouldn't hold it against them, and again, they obey God more readily than, and more humbly than Jonah did. And when they had thrown Jonah over, the storm subsides. And as a result, the sailors become very, very thankful to the God of Israel for sparing their lives. They even promised to worship the God of Israel and to return to the land. It says they offered sacrifices. Well, they didn't offer sacrifices on the boat. There wasn't anything to offer. They went back to Israel and they went to a place of worship and offered sacrifices to the God of Israel. And it says they exceedingly feared the Lord, which is the Old Testament's way of saying they believed very sincerely. Jonah, on the other hand, has to undergo God's discipline, but more about that next week. God is gracious to use Jonah's stubbornness to lead the humble sailors to himself. God really does have a different perspective on wayward people than we do. He has compassion on the wicked. And sometimes the wicked disobey God because they don't know better. And what troubles God most in our passage is the man who should have known better. Jonah was stubborn against God and he was disciplined. The sailors submitted to God and they were rescued. God wanted to reach the wayward, but Jonah was too stubborn to give a darn. He thought he was too good for them. And God knew better. But Jonah thought he knew about these people better than God did. He's going to have to learn. So this is what we've seen in Jonah today. God sends, Jonah runs. God chases, Jonah hides. God humbles, Jonah confesses. God rescues the strangers, God disciplines his servants. Some 250, maybe 300 years later, there's another Jewish prophet that's asleep in a boat in a storm. Maybe you know who I'm referring to. They're on the Sea of Galilee. 
Jesus is sleeping in a small fishing boat and his disciples are losing the battle against the storm. And in the biography of Jesus called Luke, chapter 8, verses 24 and 25, this is what we read. And they went and they woke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased and there was a calm. And he said to them, Where's your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water and they obey him? This prophet was able to speak and calm the storm. He questioned his followers as to why they didn't believe in him. And they scratched their heads as to what kind of man is capable of commanding a storm with his words. Jesus was a compassionate prophet who wanted his followers to trust him and follow him. While Jonah was the cause of the storm because of his wrong, Jesus calms the storm with his goodness. Where Jonah wronged people with his stubborn, critical spirit, Jesus welcomes his followers to believe that he is a powerful and compassionate Savior. And where Jonah gave his life unwillingly to get away from Nineveh in order to rescue the sailors, Jesus Christ gives his life on the cross willingly to rescue sinners like you and I. He is the prophet that is greater than Jonah who truly cares for his wayward people. Do you know him, Jesus, as your Savior that way? And do you have his heart for other people like that? Stubbornness is not a quality. It's a character flaw. And may God help us to see it that way and be transformed into his likeness. Let's pray. God Almighty, how we need you now. Who can stand before you, God of light, who sees all, who sees right through us like we're hollow, like we're ghosts, who sees our hearts as they really are, not as we want people to think they are, who sees us through and through and looks with us compassion and lovingly and says, will you follow me? Will you follow me? Will you do what I say? Say what I do. Go where I want you to go and be the kind of person I want you to be. Lord, help us. Help us to embrace Jesus as our Savior and to be Jesus to our community around us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.